feed the dog. I need to pick up my dry cleaning. What should we have for dinner? Where are the kids? If you feel like you've got a million things going on and a million thoughts going around in your head, you are not alone. Welcome to the Daily Mind Podcast, where we take time out daily to explore what we can do to create more mental resilience, stability, and ultimately live happier lives. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for being here. I'm so excited this morning to bring you the first interview of our Mental Wealth series for the Daily Mind podcast. And when I first had this idea for the podcast, I had no idea I'd be interviewing such diverse and interesting people. Um, And today's guest definitely fits those descriptions. Um, She was a successful massage therapist, ran a thriving business in New York, and she closed her business to join her parents um, and to be with her parents. And then we actually, I'm talking to her while she's currently living in Oahu, in Hawaii, and training as a monk. She's been there for now over 10 months. Um, She talks about her journey with healing and how she never thought that's what she'd be called to do, and yet here she is. And what I loved about this conversation was with Geraldine is that before we hit the record button, actually she asked me why I was making these interviews, what, what was my background, and why had I been so interested in normalising mental health for everyone and making it accessible for everyone. And that was the first time, it wasn't the first interview that I'd recorded, but it's the first time that somebody asked me that question. So on the spot, I shared my story and found myself actually feeling healing happening as I shared my story. And it was quite uncanny and definitely unexpected. And um, I guess that's how uh, we all heal and how we can normalize this conversation. And not only just build mental health, but really, really build mental wealth, which is what the these series is all about. Um, building really strong, resilient minds uh, that can take on the world. And so I first came across Geraldine in an interview with Tara Styles, and I was immediately drawn to her presence, uh, her peaceful presence, and even while watching in the the interview, I felt that came across uh, through her voice and her actions and her words and actually made me feel more peaceful after having watched the interview. And I found that incredible. So I knew that I wanted to get her on here and just have a chat about what she thought. I, I knew she was really interested in the discovery that she'd made while healing trauma in the monastery and I wanted to know her a little bit to have a conversation but also to understand her view 
on the dramatic difference between life in New York and life in a monastery in Hawaii and how we could use the principles that she'd learned um, of Zen to then insert them, say, into our day and into our lives um, in a normal environment, let's say, and heal trauma. Heal, And when we're talking about trauma in this in this instance, for this conversation, it can really be anything that the body and mind has been through. And so collectively, I think it was an important conversation to have because we've all collectively been through a form of trauma this year um, on a global scale. And then individually, each one of us is dealing with whatever it is that we've accumulated, um, the stress and the tension, the anxiety that we've accumulated over the years. So without further ado, I'm really, really excited to have this conversation with Geraldina Burgess, and I hope you enjoy. Thank you for having me, Maddie. I'm so delighted. Uh, The honor is fully mine. So thank you for reaching out and for being moved in the way that you were um, from that interview with Tara. Um, It's unusual because I think I mentioned in that interview that I had not really shared so much since being here and having been here for like nine months now, haven't really reached out to the world outside of the monastery of course, family, friends, even some clients. However, not really conveying any message or um, even any details about my experience. So for me to have had that opportunity and for it to have reached so many people like yourself, um, I'm really grateful. Thank you. Well, thank you. So I'd love to start with what, um, so you said you mentioned nine months. Mm-hmm. Uh, about and I'd love to start with what what was the driving force that that drove you to be there oh gosh um it had been years of me trying to make sense out of my life I've gone through a lot of physical sort of complications, whether it was from a motor vehicle accident from 20 years ago where where I was diagnosed with PTSD. I had a lot of orthopedic issues, um, bleeding in the brain, which led to a number of um, mental health issues from depression to hypervigilance to aggression to night terrors to just a number of ailments that I really couldn't wrap my head around or even myself around to sort of um, find a way out. So of course I tackled the low hanging fruit, which was the orthopedic issues. So my body got better. I started moving better. I started feeling more capable and it actually made me stronger to compartmentalize a lot of the things that I was going through. So I never really put my mental health in the forefront And then I entered the field of massage therapy and as a body worker and healer, I started um, being in a space where I was supporting other people through their own healing, initially through the physical world. But we all know that physical pain has an emotional component and it's hard to really differentiate between what is a physical sort of uh, origin versus an emotional origin. And you 
kind of have to address them both. And so my work started to develop into something a lot deeper. So it became a very much a mind, body, spirit practice. And of course, I couldn't hold that space for my clients. And so until I started diving into my own healing in that aspect. So I started really looking into ways to support myself through meditation, yoga, um, spiritual community, even my faith. I was born um, a Roman Catholic and really looking into my faith in terms of what that can offer me through prayer, devotion, those sorts of aspects that really tapped into this um, deeper sense of purpose in life. And through the years and really developing what my character was and also um, helping my clients and building this thriving practice in Manhattan, uh, I came to a point where I developed even greater sickness. I then wound up with an autoimmune condition, uh, Hashimoto's, which was a result of me overworking. So here I am thinking that I was doing good and diving into greater resources and helping my clients. And in the end, what I really needed to do is take a step back. And we sort of live in this world where it's, you know, go, 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 and do as much as you can, as fast as you can, as great as you can, and always set out for the next big thing, but yet it wasn't fulfilling that deep need in my life in terms of finding purpose. And there was a number of events that forced me to slow down. And the first one was that was the Hashimoto's where the doctor told me, okay, you have to figure something out with your work schedule. You have to stop exerting yourself physically in this way. You have to only allow yourself um, really slow moving activities, meditation, gentle yoga, find a way to sleep more and eat better. So I had to do a major overhaul in my life. Mm -hmm. And that also meant taking a look at all of the toxic relationships in my life, um, the way that I spoke to myself and start looking more deeper in terms of, well, I have to backtrack because in the process of healing, my mother wound up getting really sick. And at the time she was living in the Philippines. So I went to the Philippines to help care for her and my father, support my father at that time. And of course in the Philippines, there wasn't all of these meditation and yoga places like there are in Manhattan. There wasn't great access to organic foods and green juices and all the things that we think we need to be well. And all I had was myself and my thoughts, my family. And then I realized that I didn't really need all of those external things. And I started focusing more on the self-talk because what good is a beautiful plate of food and this highly vibrational, nutritious green juice if while you're ingesting it, you're still thinking and believing all these awful things about yourself. Mm. So there was a lot of contradiction in terms of how I felt about myself and how I was treating myself and the things that I was seeking. So that time in the Philippines, I really uh, sort of aligned to a deeper sense of who I was. And now it meant really putting that into practice. And then after my mother got sick, there were a number of other 
life-changing events. Um, my father wound up getting really sick that same year and he actually transitioned the end of that year. And then I also um, had to close my practice. I also left a 10-year relationship. So it was one event after another, after another. It was like a major overhaul of my life. And then I was here in Hawaii visiting family. It was around the time of the year anniversary of my father's transition. And I stumbled across this place through a magazine and I saw the beautiful grounds. And I remember my father at the end of his life, he became a Buddhist and he started uh, studying Buddhism. And Buddhism was the practice or the study that helped him at the end of life in terms of what it meant, what death meant, what life meant, um, how to let go of any attachments, how to be free and happy with who you are. And it helped me in witnessing his transition. And another, that was another reason why I was drawn to the monastery. And because of the pandemic and having to close my business, having had just lost or left a 10 year relationship um, at that time, I was living in Los Angeles, moved back to New Jersey with family. I didn't have a home. I didn't have anything anymore at that point. It was really fortunate in a sense that I had zero attachments that I was able to commit to this long-term training at this monastery. It was almost as if I was primed and prepped for the experience. And so when I got here, I was able to just fully surrender and trust in the process. So I know that was a long explanation to your story. So I hope that all of the details were worth sharing. <laughs> it was a beautiful explanation, really beautiful. Thank you. Um, and another, let's go, sorry to go back again, but looking back as a child or growing up, did you have any idea that you'd find yourself living as a monk? Was there any... Oh, ever since I was young, I was always um, a very deep thinker. I was very sensitive to the world around me. Um, I would very easily be able to pick up on other people's emotions. I think that's how, how I wound up in the profession that I wound up as a body worker and healer. Um, to live as a monk, I, I guess also my strict Roman Catholic upbringing had a lot to do with that too, in terms of this not being so foreign to me and the way of life, a monastic life, not being so foreign to me. But I really had no idea. Like my older brother um, studied in Japan for several years, he even married a Japanese woman and lived there. Um, and he studied um, Zen philosophy for as long as I can remember. I remember being a young teenager going to his bedroom and like just taking a look at his bookshelf and it was all books on Zen, but yet I never studied in the same way that he was. The head priest here jokes and says, I'm living out my older brother's dream. <laughs> but um, as a young child, I really didn't have um, any sort of inclination for this type of life. However, I knew that I was um, quite spiritual, very sensitive. Um, I knew the value of community. I knew the value of self-study. Um, I spent a lot of time in solitude as a young child, particularly writing poetry and thinking deep thoughts. And I would be the one at the dinner table asking everyone deep questions. 
So I think in that aspect, perhaps it um, helps me to understand why I would choose this type of life. But really, even up until the time that I submitted an inquiry about this place, that I even think that I would be here as long as I have been. Yeah. Amazing. Because you originally, you started out to go for three weeks or three months. Well, it, it was for three weeks. And then they sent an email out to all of the um, live-ins that were joining in that period. And everyone else had signed up for three months, but me. And there were maybe five other people on the list. And I was like, well, if they're doing three months, <laughs> I'm doing three months. So I wrote back and was like, could I be considered for three months as well? And they were very much open to that because at least now we can all be on the same track. And then three months happened and I wound up staying out of the whole group because there had been others that came in during that three month period as well that came in maybe for three weeks, one week. Um, some people didn't even make the full-time commitment that they um, initially had planned for. And I wound up just staying. Mm. And thank you. And the, 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 the vision we have from outside, so I can see we, we've got the video on for this recording at the moment, although people will be listening to audio, um, this beautiful uh, wall behind you that very much depicts what you would imagine um, a Zen place would look like. But I imagine that it came with a lot of challenges. It wasn't just sitting um meditating, being Zen all the time. <laughs> Do you want to speak yes. a little bit to that? Um, thank you for recognizing that. I think when I share photos of this place, everyone's impression is how peaceful and beautiful it is. Um, we're, we're deep in the valley, um, tucked in between these two mountain ridges. And there's a stream behind us. So sometimes when it's really still and quiet, and we're also surrounded by a bamboo forest. So when it's really still and quiet, you can hear the stream. And then you can also hear the bamboo trees in the wind. However, you know, the, the head priest always says that in order for you to know peace, you also have to know its other side. So in order for you to reach or to access this place, you really need to go through the strife and the hardship. So the training here is extremely intense, difficult, hard, challenging. It brings out all of your habits and brings it to the forefront. We always make a joke that once you walk in through those front gates, it's almost as if everyone is naked because we see all the parts of ourselves that we tend to tuck away from everyone else. And that is the purpose of the training here is to bring to the surface all of those things that we sort of hide from others, but yet get in the way of all the things that we do. And it's in the training that actually brings the stuff out and that we can work through them. But it is a absolutely beautiful place. It's full of really strong energy. If anyone understands Eastern philosophy, there's the yin, very soft cycle, and the yang, which is the more intense cycle. And we say that, you know, some of these Buddhist temples and um, monastery sort of livings are very yin, where there's a lot of meditation and very soft foods, and they eat a vegetarian lifestyle. And um, 
maybe not much physical activity, a lot more talk, um, sitting around in sangha. And then there's a very young aspect, which is very much what we are here, which is really intense. The schedule is always on the go. It's a very strict schedule. We talk very little and we are very physical in all that we do. So there's um, intense physical training and we're not when we're not in intense physical training, there's a lot of physical labor, which in itself is training, of course. So in order for us to really know peace and that aspect of stillness, we need to know what it's like to be in the face of like full calamity. Because if you can find calm and centeredness when there is chaos, then you really know peace. But if you only know calm and centeredness when it's already peaceful, then mm. I'm not sure that you really know peace. Mm. That's very beautiful and so, so true and leads into um, the next, my next question, which is what, uh, what, do, what effect do you think now that you've sort of experienced these two, I want to say outside realities that are different, but but however, I guess, yeah, like we said, your inside process, um, we still we still have those challenges. What effect do you think living in sort of your day-to-day -day busy state of busy life had on your state of mind at the time? Maybe that you were unaware of at the time. Oh, it allowed me to really focus on what I chose to focus on. And they, they, you know, living and working and building private practice in Manhattan, people say some of the hardest things to do. And they also say, if you can make it in New York City, you can make it anywhere, right? <laughs> Which I would have to say to be true. And I feel very fortunate to have had a successful practice, but it did take a lot of energy, a lot of grit, um, a lot of resilience, a lot of courage. Um, and I think because I had this ability to really focus on what was outside of me that it forced me to, or it caused me to forget a lot about of the other things like my personal life, my interpersonal relationships, um, the quiet time and how I handled those situations. I often didn't sleep well. Um, I mentioned earlier night terrors and I had that for several, several years, if not decades. And there was a lot of unsettled emotions um, within that really was the cause of my autoimmune condition because of my sort of ability to suppress and repress it all. My nervous system was always in this hyperactive state, even if mm. it was low grade. And mm. it, because it was in that sort of like hyperactive state for a long period of time with no settling, that's when my nervous system, my endocrine system, my immune system, it was literally fried. And that's mm -hmm. what it feels like. It feels like you put your finger, wet finger in a socket 
and your entire body was just fried. And I attributed that to hard work and living in New York City and working in New York City. But in reality, it was because I was not living a balanced life or even attempting to live a balanced life. And do you feel that your time in the last nine months, but also the healing that happened in the Philippines and with your parents, that that has healed, that that's brought healing to those things? It has, but it, it's been much longer. So thank you for bringing up the point of nine months and before. Um, it's been a long time coming. I would say that the healing process started uh, maybe 10 years ago. And it's been a long process and it's gonna be ongoing. I can't say that I'm healed. I can't say that um, I've addressed it all. Um, I can't say I figured it all out, but I do feel as if I'm in a much more present state. Whereas before there was always like this outward uh, movement and this um, inward neglect when now there's a lot more reflection, but you know, it's sort of like I went from this sort of movement to an inward reflection, understanding too that that inward reflection is not enough. Like you have to be able to engage with the outside world, even though you're doing this inward reflection. So it's not just, you know, am I managing the outside world okay? Or am I managing my inside world okay? It's like, do I have the capacity to be present in both situations and to be able to be versatile and flexible in both. And that's really what healthy state looks like in all aspects. You know, are we able to go high and low? Are we able gonna be, be able to go intense and relax? So are we able to meet all spectrums of our lives? And we're built for that. For sure, we have the resilience to be able to do all of that as human beings. But I think a lot of people avoid the intensity or avoid the stillness and are mm -hmm. unable to move between the two. Um, and some people tend to thrive in one area or the other and neglecting one or the other then tends to lead to some sort of imbalance in life. Mm -hmm. When you speak about these philosophies of balance, they, they all of a sudden they take life and they seem to not just be philosophies anymore. All of a sudden it starts to make sense and you could see how that um, engaging in the world, for instance, this conversation and then going back to that more quieter training. Um, and I'm curious, very curious to, to wonder if have you given any thought to what that will look like for you or, or in general, um, what that will look like in a day-to-day -day life when, if and when you choose to leave the monastery? Yeah, that's also a very interesting question because after the first three months here, they had cautioned us in terms of what it would be like to go engage with the outside world because we actually developed a heightened sense of sensitivity. And also at the same time, you've broken down so many of the parts of you that may have been protecting you from certain things. And you know, we, we, we built these certain walls to protect us at a time that we may have felt um, incapable of dealing with certain energies, emotions, feelings, um, whether it be from trauma or other mental health issues or just from past experiences. 
And so because we've um, trained and taken down some of these walls, when you go out into the world and start engaging, it feels very different. And so I mentioned that I have family here and I was so hesitant in seeing my family at first because I'm like, oh, I don't know if I've trained enough to deal with family. As <laughs> everyone knows, like you really have to train to be able to be with family, <laughs> especially with mom, right? And so spending time with mom, it's like, okay, that's a good test of how much training I've done. But um, it was really interesting to have been exposed um, to the world outside of here in that way and recognizing the change within me. And it's sort of um, it's sort of like I, I tiptoed back into reality in a sense where I opened my calendar up for virtual sessions. I reconnected with clients back in New York. I reconnected with some friends, um, all of it quite slowly. And of course, not to the actual experience where we're meeting face-to-face. However, I don't think anyone's fully had that experience, whether they're in a monastery or um, because of the pandemic. Um, so I am going back to New York in July and I'm really interested in what that would be like. But I feel really um, solid. And I don't think I ever felt this way before. You know, I, I've certainly felt uh, protected in the past because, or guarded, let's say, is a better word than protected. I felt really guarded in a sense where I felt like, okay, I was able to protect myself from certain things. But now I feel really solid in terms of I feel better um, equipped to handle life and its challenges. And it's a really strange place to be because I never thought that I would first need this type of feeling mm. or even that this feeling was possible. Mm. You know, particularly living in New York City, or in Manhattan, it's like this hub of wellness. And wellness has become this trillion dollar industry. And there's always like the next best thing, next best modality, next best diet, next best drink or adaptogen or a thing to put into your smoothie. Mm -hmm. And you start to think that you need all of these things. Mm -hmm. But training here taught me, fully taught me that you don't really need all of those things. Those things may support you and get you to a place where then you can see that all you need really is yourself. But I, I just thought that that was like this saying or this unattainable thing or this thing that we're all reaching, like the, the road to wellness as if it's a place that we're gonna arrive to. <laughs> you know? And unreach, yeah. Yes. When in reality, it's all been present. It's just this awakening to that truth. Mm -hmm. I must, um, I must tell listeners because they can't see you. I feel like this this needs to be uh, said. Is the beauty of watching you. Um, speak and share and then return to center in this quiet still space is just divine i, I need to say that out loud um, mm -hmm. so that 
listeners can get can get an understanding. So I know we spoke a little bit before and it was really important for you to share. We've spoken a little bit about healing, but for listeners to know that healing is possible, do you want to speak a little bit more to that? I do. You know, having worked in a heal within a healing practice, it, it's so it's challenging for me to describe the work that I do because right now I'm offering virtual sessions, so I can't say I'm a massage therapist virtually because that's impossible. Um, and I don't I don't like to call myself a healer because I don't feel as if I'm the one doing the healing. Mm. Um, but what I have experienced personally and also witnessed amongst my clients and also I'm witnessing on a daily basis here at the monastery is that healing is possible. And what I mean by healing is possible is whatever it is that we feel that we can never get over, or when is this gonna end? Or how do I stop this? And some people just say, well, you just have to let it go or you have to just stop it. And it feels impossible. I just want people to know that it is possible because I've, I've witnessed it. I've felt it, I've experienced it myself. I've seen it in other people. And some, in some people, it's been instant. And I don't think they even knew that it was possible. It's interesting the type of people a monastery calls in, you know, people who want to sort of dive deeper into their spiritual quest in life or finding purpose or deepening a sense of um, service to this world is usually why people are drawn here. And they say here that the training is meant for us to be free and happy. And that really intrigued me. It, it's on their website. It's in a book that the abbot wrote. And it was one of, when the, one of the founders, he used to say this all the time, you know, what good is a training if you cannot be free and happy? And I'm like, how do you achieve this? Like, how do you become free and happy? And you become free and happy by breaking all of these habits that you have. We had someone that just left a three-week training and she was talking about how all of her faults came to the surface and we had to stop her right away. And it's not your faults, they're just your habits. And these are the habits of yours that get in the way of things. Like you may not be one that sees things out completely. You might not finish a project. You might be afraid to take chances. You might um, have a hard time using your voice. You know, we may look at these as faults, but they're really habits that need to be broken and they can be broken. And once these habits are broken, it sort of allows us into this like current or this field of energy that healing is possible because it's these limits, these self-imposed limits or these um, subconscious beliefs or these patterns that we have that really prevent us from living a life fully 
And it's these sort of barriers that also are the same barriers to our healing. And usually illness or disease is a result of us going up against this wall that we can never feel that we can break through. And so I want everyone to know that healing is possible. And for many people that have been suffering with an autoimmune condition or mental health disturbance or trauma, whatever it is that has been long-standing, long-term, that that too is possible. It's not one of those things where you have to just surrender to, like this is just gonna be a part of my life, that there's no way through this, but in reality there is. And it takes compassion, it takes courage, and it takes great resilience because healing is not an easy path. Healing takes a lot of resilience. Mm. So everyone on that journey, I honor you. I see you. Mm. I walk with you. And there's so many of us that walk on that journey together. Mm. Thank you. Thank you for saying that, for saying about that it takes compassion and it takes courage because it really does. It really does. It takes so much courage. And I was really touched by the way you said that and the way you so openly um, expressed it. So thank you. Now, I read on one of your recent blog posts that although you had, it's very hard to encompass a lifetime of <laughs> training into one podcast. So although you, you've learned so much also in your time there, that one thing was proving to be the most valuable and it came up when you were asked, what will you do with your life post-training? Do you remember what that was? No. <laughs> You're so present. <laughs> right, let's see if it changed. Let's see if it changed. Okay, let's then. go. <laughs> what did I say? So it was along the lines of resting and actually doing less. Mm. I remember now. Mm -hmm. It was early on in the training and there's, um, we train in an art, a martial art called Kendo, which is sword fighting and it's really aggressive. And it was probably one of my greatest challenges here, but I only bring that up because afterwards, you know, cause we're fighting each other, we're hitting each other in the head with bamboo sticks and <laughs> screaming and yelling. And we just have to make sure that everyone still likes one another. So we hang out after and we have some beverages and snacks and we just have casual conversation. And the abbot usually joins us because he trains with us. He's one of our teachers in Kendo. And he asked, he had asked all of the live-ins, you know, what are you going to do after your training here? And everyone had these really commendable goals in terms of 
growing their business or restarting a new business or um, of starting a family or whatever it may be. And he got to me and I was like, nothing. I want to do nothing. And that's probably the hardest thing to do is to do nothing. And what I mean by nothing is I didn't want to strive for anything. Living in New York City, it's like, okay, I want to have this type of reach and I want my practice to be this big and I want to have this number of new clients per month and I want to have this number of returning clients. And I've always had these major goals and aspirations and most of which I've been really gratefully been able to achieve through really hard work. And when I said that I wanted to do nothing, I felt this like jarring sense of like, what will that mean? Would that mean that I have no purpose? Is my work what defines me? Who am I if I'm not working? And so it really made me question, like if I did nothing with my life, would I still be proud of who I am? Would I still feel as if I'm serving some purpose in this world? Am I still able to give to others in the same way, even if I did nothing? That is the ultimate goal, really. Like, can you bring peace and calmness to another person just for your, from your presence? So if you can achieve that level of enlightenment, I would say, where you don't have to do anything and someone else can be healed, then you've reached like the ultimate role as a human to be in service. So when I said that, you know, everyone giggled (laughs) but I really meant it. I really, really meant it because I've, I've lived all my life doing so much for others, especially before myself. And then having gotten sick and having had to do so much for myself while still doing so much for others. I just wanted to know what it was like if I can just do nothing and still be proud, capable, present, happy, free, all of those things. And it was, it was probably my biggest lesson here because a lot of the other live-ins were much younger than I was. So they had a lot more energy, a lot more physical abilities. And for me, um, because of all of my orthopedic issues and ailments that I've had in the past, I I had a physical limit, of course. And so they would always tell me to go take a nap or go ice your knees or, you know, go see your family. And meanwhile, everyone else is like training so hard. And I'm like, no, I came here to train. I want to train hard. But I realized that my training was actually resting. Mm -hmm. My training was finding another way to be of service, finding Mm -hmm. another way to be present for other people. And that's through just being myself. Can I bring, can I bring, they call, uh, the term is samadhi, which is um, really ultimate peace and calmness where you reach this meditative state. And it's a state that you reach 
you know, through meditation, through doing hard things, like, can you actually enter a room and bring samadhi to everyone that you encounter? That's the ultimate goal. So yeah, it hasn't changed. That's still what I want to <laughs> do when I get out of here, which is nothing. Do. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and I want to do it well. <laughs> That's the New Yorker coming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so finally, thank you so much. Um, I feel like there's, there's so much wonder and beauty and wisdom in this conversation. Um, and I, I'm really curious if you could say something to a younger Geraldine, you had something to say to her wisdom, knowing what you know now, and you could just go back and whisper in her ear, what would you, what would you say? Mm. Oh gosh. Nothing. No. <laughs> I might, that might be my answer because although if you asked me this a few months ago, a year ago, two years ago, there would have been a, a whole number of things, you know, mm -hmm. like um, have more fun or, you know, it's all going to be okay or all of those things. But because I'm at a place in my life where I feel really light mm -hmm. and sort of free that I wouldn't change anything. And I, I think back on all of the hardships and a lot of people wouldn't assume that about me that I've had hardships in my life because I tend to be quite joyous. And again, I am very caring for other people. And when I tell people about a hard life, they're probably like, oh, it's a hard life for you. But I just remember being troubled ever since I was little and because I saw the world so differently and I had this like extra sensitivity to the world and to other people's pain from a very young age. Like I. I can see other people's pain very quickly. And it, it's a gift that I have now, but growing up, I didn't see it as a gift. I just really took on a lot of the stuff that I saw and didn't understand what that was. So would I tell her anything different? I wouldn't tell her anything different because the process that I went through these 50 plus years is actually the process I needed to go through to be where I am today. I feel like I have such a full life ahead of me still. And so I wouldn't tell her anything. Beautiful. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And I know for people looking for to hear more, um, you've got a talk on YouTube that you recorded about Zen and trauma, if I'm not yes. wrong. That's, that's out there. Yes. Did you want to speak a little bit about that? Or I do. Yes, sure. thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. I'm, I'm really excited about this upcoming program and the talk that we shared uh, just a few weeks ago. 
Uh, it'll be on YouTube. You can also find it through um, my Instagram page, as well as under the monastery's YouTube page, which is Chosen G, C-H-O-Z-E-N-J-I. And we spend an hour talking about our experience in Zen training and how it actually helped us overcome trauma and past trauma in our lives. And it's sort of um, a discussion around a program that will be offered here in October. It's gonna be for three weeks and we're actually gonna take people through some really intense Zen training with the intention and focus of also um, healing their traumas. It's not what I came here to do, which is to heal trauma, but in order for you to find freedom and to be happy, you almost have to heal your trauma. And so it's this beautiful byproduct of the Zen training where you actually break through um, what I thought would be a part of my life for a very long time mm -hmm. or that something that I just thought that I had to live with. Um, so again, um, healing is possible and doesn't always have to look so intense, <laughs> but um, if it is, or if that, if, if people have tried so many things already and may have this like really keen understanding because the thing with trauma survivors is that many of us have tried so many things from talk therapy, somatic experience, EMDR, um, tapping, so many things to the point where we've become so familiar with our trauma, the way that it feels in our body. It's almost like this entity or this being that we can palpate can actually feel what this trauma feels like in our bodies, but yet we don't know how to put it down or we don't know if that we can put it down or we don't know that it can actually just disintegrate. So training in Zen has actually shown me that it can actually just disintegrate. And perhaps this is the one thing that people don't know is possible because a lot of times with trauma healing, people say uh, it shouldn't be too much, too fast, or too soon with the fear of re-triggering the past trauma. But I've learned here through personal experience that a lot of times when we tend to not fully address the trauma, we also then keep it in its sort of contained state. Mm. That sometimes it takes a full-on direct approach for it to be addressed. So I just am not sure that many people know that this is also a possibility because I certainly didn't until I experienced it. So I would love people to take a look at that video, um, listen along, email me or um, the program directly if you have any questions. Um, the program again is in October. We've had many people expressing interest. We are going to have an intense application process. As you can imagine, um, we, we have to be careful in choosing the group because we were all going to be moving through this healing process together. 
So it has to be a group that we feel will work in synergy and supportive of one another um, so that we can all break through all of these barriers together. But thank you for the opportunity allowing me to talk about that. Beautiful, thank you. And just one last thing, I have to touch on this because it just came to mind. Tell everyone about belly button forward <laughs> because oh, it's become yes. a mantra of mine. <laughs> oh, good. So belly button forward is sort of the posture that we try to embody in addressing all things in life. So whether whatever is in front of us, whether it's hard or easy, painful or full of joy, to be able to address it belly button forward. That way, no matter what it is in front of us, we, we have this sort of capacity to be fully present and fully capable. So I know that you wanted to talk about sort of aspects of the training here that people can take with them. And in addition to belly button forward, I think what would make sense is for me to talk about the three aspects that we utilize in all our forms of training, which is posture, breath, and concentration. So posture meaning belly button forward, breath meaning, are we able to have full ownership over our breath in every moment, whether stressful or relaxing? Are we able to take a full breath in and a full breath out? And concentration meaning, are we able to see everything around us, 180 degrees, everything to your left, everything to your right, everything in front of you? That way you have this full awareness, not just immediately what's in front of you, not just what's on your mind, but everything. So with those three aspects, posture, breath, concentration, as you face the world, belly button forward, it allow you to be fully present for whatever it is that's in front of you and actually stay calm, whether it is something excitable because it's actually dreadful or full of wonder. It's such a beautiful way to face life. A lot of times, particularly now with the pandemic, many of us are finding ways to stay away from things that make us feel uncomfortable because it's all just too much. A lot of it has become too much for us. But in reality, we can develop the sense of resilience and we can cultivate a sense of ability that we can sustain and face anything. And that's what really needs to change. You know, as human beings, we're elevating as our intelligence elevates, our physical abilities are elevating. But our nervous system, we tend to like, you know, keep it calm and find ways to keep it calm. And everyone's saying, okay, you need to meditate and breathe and rest more and do all these like relaxing activities. But as the world around us is just becoming more frantic and crazy, and we have not just exposure to our immediate world, but we have exposure to the grander view of the world and looking at all the calamities of the world, whether on our phone, on a computer, on our TV, in conversation, mm. can we avoid all of that? 
So, but in order for us to take it all in, it takes building resilience of your nervous system. Mm. And so that is possible. And I think the best way to start cultivating a stronger nervous system is through posture, breath, and concentration, and belly button forward. My hope is that as we are all continuing to face greater challenges in life, that we start recognizing our ability to actually face it all, um, not just individually, but as a community, with our family, with our loved ones, with the community that we've created. You know, we can't face anything alone, nor do we have to, which is why we're all experiencing so many of the same things together to teach us that it is possible. So I'm so grateful for these questions, Maddie. It really allowed me to reflect more on who I am, um, partly because of this training. It allowed me to reflect more on my messaging and what I have to offer others. It allowed me to reflect more on my hopes, not just for myself, for everyone around me, for people like you that I've just met, that I feel so connected to. And hopefully all that you're sharing, um, all the people that you're sharing this with will also be touched by our messaging today. So thank you, Maddie. Beautiful. Thank you. So if you listened to the whole episode and you're still here thank you so much uh, and if you enjoyed the episode feel free to reach out and let us know or rate the podcast uh, and that way we can connect with and reach more people especially those who needed to hear this episode uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts uh, share it wherever on whatever platform that uh, you enjoy sharing things, um, even just with friends and family. And uh, thank you again for listening. See you soon.